At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. What do you begin to think about when I talk about world peace? You know, probably when I say that, you think of some significant conflict that has happened way over there, right? Whether it's World War II and the conflict in Europe or in Asia, maybe you or a loved one participated in that conflict, but for the most part, it took place far away from us. There was a treaty that was signed by people that we didn't know to to end that conflict, that brought about some era of peace. Or we think about maybe more recent conflicts in Korea or Vietnam or in Desert Storm. Or maybe you think about uh, the conflict that exists in the Middle East. And when I talk about world peace, you think about regions of the world like that. But often when we think about world peace, we think about these big conflicts that take place around the world, often on the other side of an ocean that are ultimately resolved by people that we don't know or are not resolved and are ongoing. This notion of world peace often brings those kinds of thoughts to mind. But I want to set your minds and hearts at ease today and that that is not the world peace I'm talking about. Uh, For the next three Sundays, we're not going to be talking about conflict that is way over there that will be solved by people that you don't know. But instead, we're going to be talking about your world peace, peace in our world. And this is an especially important conversation for us to have because the conflicts of our world today, for the most part, you know, there certainly are conflicts out there, but the ones that are front and center to us right now are not happening on the other side of an ocean. They're happening in our front yards. And it's a fight that is happening on a number of different fronts. Maybe that front is an economic front where income that you thought you had went away because of furloughs or other challenges. Maybe it's the front of isolation, and I'm not talking about a prisoner of war in a faraway country. I'm talking about just being at home more and away from your friends more. Or or maybe you think about the the front of disease, and I'm not talking about some uh, disease or epidemic that is ravaging another continent. I'm talking about the situations that are impacting our community and our country. Think about business, and I'm not talking about what's happening on Wall Street. I'm talking about what's happening in your business, in in your daily life, as things have been disrupted in different ways. When I think about school, I'm not talking about theories of education. I'm talking about what your plans are going to be next month. The fights have come closer. I even even think about church. You know, things like Sunday at 9.30 or 11 o'clock, it always looks a certain way, but then suddenly we're in an environment like this where we have more legroom. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are going, this is awesome. Don't you ever put these chairs back. Just put like AMC Theater's little recline button. That'd be amazing. I'm not that entertaining. We can't do that. You would fall asleep every week. Um, But you think about just the impact. It's come all the way down to the way we shop for groceries, hadn't it? I mean, so many things in our world have been turned upside down. And the fight is coming at us on very many different fronts. And in the midst of that conflict, in the midst of those challenges, is it possible for us to have peace? 
Is it possible for our hearts to, to find a home that is protected in a time like this? Friends, I, I believe that it is, and my evidence for that comes from the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to his friends at the church in Philippi. When he wrote them that letter, he wrote it in the midst of a number of difficult circumstances. I mean, think about the, the, the experiences that he was having when he wrote this letter. He had learned of or attended the funeral of or had mourned the loss of a number of his friends, not just one, a number of his friends who had died because of their faith in Christ. Not only that, but Paul was currently imprisoned when he wrote this letter. And so he's dealing with that difficulty. And he's in prison because of his faith in Jesus, and he is soon to stand trial, and he doesn't know if he will live or die as a result of that. Now, our challenges are many on many different fronts, but I think Paul actually had it worse. And yet, in that moment in time, Paul found peace. And here's what's significant for us. The peace that Paul found was not found in a prison cell. And it was not found because he was a Roman citizen. And it was not found because he was a resident of the first century. But the peace that Paul found, he found in Jesus Christ. And here's why that matters for us. It matters for us because you and I are not residents of the first century. You and I are not in a prison cell in Rome. You and I are not Roman citizens. And yet we are, if we know Jesus and we have trusted in him, we are in Christ. That means that the peace that Paul found is available for you and it's available for me today. That's right. Even with all of these different fronts on which the battle is being fought, not out there someplace, but in our front yard, it is possible for us to have peace in our world. And over the next three Sundays, we're going to explore the peace that Paul found in a number of different spheres. We're going to see that it's possible for us to have peace with people, specifically with fellow followers of Jesus. It's possible for us to have peace with them. We're going to see that in verses 2 and 3 in just a couple of minutes. Then next week, we're going to see how it's possible to have peace within our mind and our soul in the midst of the battles that are being waged. Not out there someplace, but in our front yard. It's possible for us to have peace inside of ourselves. We're going to look at that next week, verses 4 to 9. And then two weeks from now, we're going to talk about a peace that is available in terms of our attitude towards our possessions. We're going to see that in verses 10 to 20. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 for the next month. And as we are in that, those chapters, we're going to find a peace that is available for your world and for mine if we are in Christ. So you ready for this? Let's do it. So we're going to look at that today, and we're going to begin by talking about the peace that is available to us in Christ in our relationships with other Christians, with other people. And we're going to see this from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. So if you've got a Bible, turn there. We're going to spend the balance of our time in Philippians 4, 2 and 3. These two short verses have a lot for us today of encouragement in terms of how we live out our relationship with Christ and how that affects the peace that we experience in Him. I want to read these two verses for us, and then we'll back up and make a couple of observations today. Paul writes in chapter 
4. Keep in mind, he's written an entire letter. He's talked on a number of different topics. But in chapter 4, verse 2, this is what he says. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Friends, those two verses have two things for us to remember as it relates to the peace that we can have with other people, specifically with fellow followers of Christ. So what's the first thing that we see from these verses? The first thing is a simple word that we're all familiar with, and that word is conflict. Can you all say that with me? Conflict. Now, I realize that this is a unique group and that conflict is not a part of any of your lives, that this is a very irrelevant topic because you have not disagreed with anyone, especially in the last 120 days. But what we see inside of Philippians chapter 4 is that conflict is actually something that is a part of this world and is actually a part of the life of our interaction with others, including our interactions with other followers of Jesus, including our interactions with other committed followers of Christ. Now, where do we see that idea inside of this passage? Well, we, we see it by looking at the who of chapter 4, verse 2. See, Paul is writing this letter, and he is talking about two women, one named Yodia and the other named Syntyche. Now, he writes this about them, and he he talks about uh, how they have come to some kind of a disagreement. We know that because he entreats them to find agreement. There's a different way of describing it, but there was a a conflict that had developed between these two women. Now, what do we know about them? Honestly, friends, the answer is not much. But here is what is clear by their inclusion inside of this letter. These two women were well-known inside of uh, that community because he just is able to say Yodia and Syntyche. By the way, Free advice, two great names if you're looking for names for your next born. Yodia and Syntyche, biblical names right here, right? They, they sound strange to us. They weren't strange sounding in their culture. They actually were names that represented wonderful character qualities. But these two women who were inside of the Philippian church, they needed no other introduction. Like Madonna or Cher, one word was enough. He he just says Yodia and Syntyche, and the church in Philippi knew who he was talking about. He didn't have to say, you know, Yodia, the the dark-haired woman that lives on down the street, who works in this market, who drives the minivan, whose house is pink. He didn't have to say any of that, right? He just says Yodia. He just says Syntyche, because they were known to the community there inside of the church in Philippi. Now, we know that they were prominent members of the church because this was not just a letter to city council. This was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. So these were people who were especially well-known to those inside of the church. They were members there. And not only were they members there, but they were ministry team members there. Paul describes them as people who labored side by side with him. The structures of church in the first century were a little different. They were still developing. 
There weren't very many staff members, but friends, I would hazard to say that this is how you would have described staff members at the church in Philippi. You would have described them as those who labored side by side with me. Whether they were vocational or not is unknown, but here's the deal. They were well-known, prominent members of this church who were actively serving. We're not talking about two women here who were you know, just occasional attenders. Christians in name only. These were two committed followers of Christ in the church in Philippi. What else we know about them is that Paul knew them and he loved them. He knew them and he loved them. Notice what it says in in verse 1, the verse preceding what I just read. He said, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul talks about how he loves them. He's, he longs for them. He's homesick for them. He can't wait to see them again. He calls them his joy and his crown. He calls them his beloved. This is the outreach from a friend to friends. Not just someone, not just church member, prominent church members, fellow servants in the gospel. And even among people who were that mature and that involved, conflict had developed. Now, isn't that interesting? Conflict can develop even between committed Christians. Now, here's the thing. What was their conflict about? What was it about? Look in in the verses. What's their conflict about? Anybody see it? Guess what? It's, it's not there. You know what was worth mentioning? Their names. You know what wasn't worth mentioning? What they were fighting about. You realize that to Paul, they mattered more than what they were arguing about? It's not even mentioned what the conflict was. So the best we can do is, is guess what it might have been about. Was there conflict about doctrine? Well, I don't think it was probably about a significant doctrinal issue, things like Jesus as the Son of God and salvation through faith in Him alone. I I don't think that was what they were arguing about, because in other places, Paul does correct big error like that, but it could have been on some secondary doctrinal issue. It could have been a, a verse or two that they had disagreed about, some boutique theology that they had built, and they had invited their friends to follow, and it had led to some kind of a conflict inside of the church. could have been that. could have been something different than that. It could have been something related to their practice of church. Maybe one of them liked hymns and the other liked contemporary music. We don't know that but it could have been some part of their practice. They got into a disagreement about something. Maybe it was related to their practices and their preferences inside of the church. Maybe it had to do with politics. You know, I've I've heard uh, that politics can cause division among people, even people inside the church. Maybe it was something related to the expression of local government or of regional government, or of what was happening in Rome, or an attitude towards that. We don't know. Maybe it was one of those things. 
Or maybe it was a personal issue. Maybe one of them had forgotten the other's birthday or had said something to one of their kids that they took the wrong way. We don't know what it is. Maybe they had a party and they didn't invite the other. We don't know what the source of the conflict was. And you know what? To Paul, it didn't even warrant mentioning. But the conflict it created was still important. And the conflict it created was something that Paul wanted to call out because it was a danger. Now, why was that conflict a danger? Well, I think we get a clue back in verse 1. It's interesting, you know, I read this verse earlier, but right in the middle of it, he said that they are to stand firm thus in the Lord. In other words, there there was something about their expression of their Christian life that they they wanted to, to, to live out with a unity so that they might stand firm in the world in which they lived. And what Paul was saying was, I don't want you to spend your time fighting each other because if you spend your time fighting each other, you will not be together in fighting the true fight, which is the proclamation of gospel and the transformation of lives in your city and in the world. Paul says, I want you to stand firm, so stop tearing each other apart over these smaller matters. It's interesting, J.A. Macher says this about this. He says, where there is disharmony inside the church, there is bound to be defeat outside. Where Christians cannot bear the sight of each other, they will not be able to look the world in the face either. They cannot win on the main front of their contact with the world if they are secretly carrying on warfare on a second front of their own devising. It's a powerful thought. Paul challenges the conflict that is happening, not so that they might resolve some petty difference or some secondary argument, but so that they might be together to fight the good fight. Their conflict was significant. Now, it's important for us to think about that because, let me ask you, does conflict exist among Christians today? And again, don't think about what's happening way far away to be resolved by presidents of seminaries and councils. Think about in your world, in your front yard. Is there conflict among Christians even around you now? It could be a conflict that is existing and brewing around some secondary doctrinal issue. It could be conflict that is brewing around preferences on the way things should happen inside of the church. It could be conflict that is brewing about different understandings of politics and the way things should play out in our city or in the state or in the nation. It could be some conflict about personal preferences that we might be bumping up and and crashing heads with somebody we might have had an offense somewhere? Is it possible for there to be conflict among even committed Christians inside of Wildwood? And friends, I think the answer to that is absolutely yes. So is this passage relevant? I mentioned to somebody earlier today, I said, if you can't preach Philippians 4, 2, and 3 in 2020, you can't preach. It's just that transparent and that on the table, the message that is being proclaimed because conflict is so normal. So what what does Paul encourage them to do? Given their conflict, what, what does he charge them with? Well, how would you guess he would answer that? 
You might say, well, he would encourage them to go home and write about it on Facebook. No, no, that's right. It wasn't invented yet. So he maybe encouraged them to go to Twitter or to Instagram with an amazing meme to express their disdain for their brother or sister and their perspective. Maybe we would imagine that he would encourage them to harbor some kind of bitterness, to just take it home and internalize it and go kick the cat. Or maybe he would encourage them to cancel their friendships with others, walk away from them, even find a new church. There's a lot of ways in which we would imagine that the situation might be handled. That's not what Paul encourages them to do at all, is it? When conflict exists between committed Christians inside of a local fellowship, what does Paul encourage them to do? What does he encourage you and me to do? Well, the answer is is one word. Jesus. Now, I know what some of you are thinking is like, wow, that is the most low-hanging fruit ever. Pastor, did you even prepare for today? Or did you just... Chart that out, right? I mean, is that, that seems so basic, and yet it's so profound in terms of the solution to the conflict that was brewing inside of these two women, Judea and Syntyche, and the conflict that exists inside of the church. Paul goes to these women, and he entreats them. Instead of focusing on their differences, which may be many, but ultimately were not all that important, not even worth naming, Instead, he encourages them to find their common denominator, to add together the different factions inside of their church. Now, when when I say that, it sounds like fractions, right? So here's the thing. Who here has taken a math class of any kind in the last year? Okay, several hands, okay? So you all need to hold me to this, okay? I see some hands up of those who have taken a math class in the last year. So you need to hold me to this. You may have discussed how do you add fractions. In other words, how do you take two fractions that have different denominators, that's this number on the bottom, and add them together in an easy way? How do you add together one-half and two-thirds? Well, the easiest way, if you know how to do that, raise your hand. Okay, several of you. So you can check my math on this. I know there's some new math, but you can check my math on this, okay? So if, if you were to add these two together, you would try to find a common denominator, the, the bottom number that they would have in common. And so you could take that common denominator and you could make that into sixths. So one half is the same as three sixths, two thirds is the same as four sixths. If you add one half and two thirds together with their common denominator, how many sixths is that? Seven sixths, right? You guys are really sharp. This is amazing. Uh, way smarter than the 930 service, okay? So here's the thing. So when you add those numbers together, because you have not focused on their differences, but you found what united them, you were able to add them together and not just divide them. Friends, the Apostle Paul makes a very similar argument in Philippians chapter 4, to this problem that existed in the division between Yodia and Syntyche. What Paul does is he comes to them and he says, you have a common denominator. I want you to remember that. And that common denominator is Jesus. 
You may never agree on politics. You may never agree on the personal difference in preference of church service or personal life or, or whatever. You may have disagreement in those areas for a long time in this life. But what Paul says is, I'm not asking you to find agreement on your differences. I'm asking you to find agreement on where you agree. And the agreement that you have is in Jesus. Now, that's a big category, and so let's break it down the way Paul does. When we talk about having something in common with fellow followers of Jesus, we all have a number of things in common in Christ. What are three of them that he mentions here? The first thing that he mentions that we have in common is that we have the same Lord. It's what he says in verse 2. He, he says, we are to agree in the Lord. If you are a Christian and I am a Christian, then guess what that means? We have the same master that we serve. We have the same God who we are called to obey. We have the same Jesus that we are called to glorify. Calling him Lord is, is, is not just a title, it's, it's personal. It demands our response. And so when we find ourselves at odds with another believer, we need to remember that at the end of the day, though we may disagree on X, Y, and Z, on Jesus we agree. He's our Lord. Not only that, but he also talks about how they have the same identity. The same identity. Now, where do we see that in the passage? Well, look at how he ends verse 3. He talks about their names are written in the book of life. This is an identity statement. Now, in the Bible, there are a number of different times where book of life is referenced in, in different ways. But here's what I think Paul is getting at here. In the first century, the cities around the Roman Empire would all have a book, and in that book would be written the names of all the citizens of that city. It was the book of all who were living in that place. And what Paul is, is, is writing about is he says, your primary identity, fellow Christians, is not found in the city that you currently reside in, but ultimately your names are written in the same book, citizens of the same kingdom, following the same Lord with the same future with Him. In other words, friends, we ought to be able to have unity within followers of Christ because we have the same Lord and we're headed to the same location. And we operate by the same values because our citizenship and our identity is found in Him. Not only that, but we have the same mission. Remember what he said about them. He said that they have labored side by side with me in the gospel. There was a shared mission that they had. What Paul was saying was, why would we spend time fighting each other when we could join in the good fight? We've been called to proclaim the gospel to a lost world. Let's get about that and not keep tearing each other to pieces. They may never come to agreement on the areas where they were disagreeing, but there was still a unity that is available in Christ. Paul called them to it. It's interesting, Tom Constable says of this, I love this quote. He says, unanimity in the church is not always possible. Now, let's just stop for a moment right there. That is the understatement of understatements, right? Unanimity in the church is not, I won't say ever possible, 
But think about this. How much unanimity is there in your family? Try deciding what you're going to watch on Disney Plus this afternoon. And then tell me how much unanimity you have in your family. Where are you going to eat for lunch? What you're going to eat from that cupboard, right? It's challenging to get unanimity even in a family, much less in a church. But thankfully, what Paul is talking about is that we're not just all a bunch of clones. He says, even though we have different ideas, Constable says, unanimity in the church is not always possible. But he says, guess what? Unity is. In other words, it is possible for us to have unity on the bigger issues, even if we disagree about the smaller things. We remember whose we are. Now, friends, this idea was so important to Paul that he was not going to leave it just up to Yodia and Syntyche to solve it. But as a matter of fact, he's going to call in a number of others to help. And in verse 3, he mentions three different groups of people that he calls to help. The first that he calls to help is the true companion. Now, who is the true companion? There's a lot of things that have been written and debated about who this is. But the answer is we don't know. I'll tell you, my best understanding is that it was a, a, a guy by the name of Companion. I know that sounds weird, but that was an actual name, and that this person named Companion may have been the pastor of the church in Philippi. And Paul writes and says, hey, you who are named Companion, be true to your name and step in and help Yodia and Syntyche experience the unity that they have in Christ. Second person that he mentions is Clement. He says, hey, Clement is together with me. Who's Clement? Clement was obviously another member of that church there in Philippi. Clement was a very common name, like saying Bob or Steve or Mark. There was a, a guy there named Clement, maybe a few Clements, but obviously they knew who this guy was. And he says, Clement, I want you on board with this mission as well. And then he goes on and says, even all of the fellow workers. In other words, everybody who's a part of this cause of Christ with us, I'm calling all of you to the table as a church to help us live out and experience this unity that is possible in Christ. Christianity in Paul's understanding, was no spectator sport. It wasn't something for a few people to work at while everybody else just did their own thing. Paul calls the whole church to help. He doesn't call them to come in and meddle, to get a good, juicy story to tell, to gossip about it behind their backs. He calls them in to help actually bring unity and healing. And this is consistent with what we see in the rest of the New Testament, as the church is called to be the church, to reach out and to, to bridge gaps and to do the work of the ministry. Hebrews, one example of this, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near as if Paul is tapping into that and he says, hey, Clement, companion, the rest of the church, step in and stir them up to this good deed, this good work that I've called them to. Not only that, but in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul was saying, church, get engaged, get involved. Help those around you pursue 
growth and unity in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul is here talking in, to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And then we think about places like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, where Paul says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Friends, the church being the church is not just sitting back and watching the conflict and chuckling about it to our friends. It's the church coming around those in conflict and encouraging them to find their unity in Christ. If we spend our time focusing on what is different among us, we will divide and not add. But Jesus has made it possible for us to have a common denominator that can add all of our factions together based on who He is and what He has done. Now, as we conclude this, I I, I want to just share a couple of thoughts um, of how we might respond to this idea. Here's the thing. Right now, we live in a world that is hyper-communicative, right? Now, when I say that, you might be like, well, people, we're not really good at it. I may not be good at it, but it's available to all of us. We have means to talk to each other. We have means to talk to the universe that, that common people like you and I have never had, right? And, and it's, it starts right here in our pockets, and it moves to our iPads, and it moves to our laptops, and we have this amazing ability to communicate with anyone and everyone. And recently, so many of us, and I'm including myself in this, take advantage of the resources that we have to share and post and comment about all of the things that are different about us and between us. It's really possible for us to do that. And you know what? I'm not here to argue that there aren't legitimate conversations to have in all of those areas. As a matter of fact, Paul does call out doctrinal error, and he does call out sin and all of those things too. So this is not just some tiptoe through the tulips kind of a comment or conversation. What I am saying is, as followers of Jesus today, I think we've gotten out of balance. In focusing on our differences, we've forgotten what we have in common in Him. And so here's your mission if you choose to accept it. Take the next seven days and utilize your communication devices, your social media channels, your your email, your phone, your text messages, what you share, and use those to encourage fellow Christians for what you have in common in Christ. Now, I know as I say that, some of you are going, well, wait a second, wait a second. There's real error I need to confront. Okay, it'll be there next week. There's there's real challenge and threat out there that I need to break down. It'll be there next week. But just as a step of balance, remembering the unity that Christ bought, 
would we take a step away from what divides us and reach out to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and encourage them with what unites us? It's a challenge for us to consider. It certainly applies to how we communicate in, in, in broad ways, but also I would encourage us to consider what this would mean in terms of our other communication mechanisms, like sitting down and having a cup of coffee with someone. You know, this is not a situation. Most of us, when we, we see these verses, uh, Pastor John Abernathy said this after the first service, I thought it was a good point, but we always want to see ourselves as clement or true companion, right? We're the ones who have it all together, who can step in and help resolve the conflict. But is it possible that we have conflict with another that we need to resolve? If so, initiate with that person this week. You know Christ, they know Christ. Begin with the unity that you have together in Him. See where that goes. Friends, Jesus has made it possible for us to experience a unity that is otherwise impossible. Let's not forget it. Let's live it out. Lord, thank you so much for just the opportunity to look at your word and be challenged by it today. I pray that you would help us to just have the faith and the courage to walk forward in the unity that Christ has made possible, that we might live a life that is glorifying to you and is loving to others. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.